Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. Praise God. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Love that you're here. Uh, Man, I love that song we just sang um, about just asking our powerful, powerful God to bring revival um, in in our hearts, in my heart, in your heart, in this land that we uh, that we live in. Excited about tonight. Um, welcome. If you are, somebody break something? Oh no, Marcus, it's okay. Um, if, uh, if you are new here, uh, we really are glad you're here. We are. We hope that you feel uh, just incredibly welcome in this place. Uh, if you're new here too, tonight is going to be a fun one um, because we are talking about race and politics. Um, so it's been really fun. Um, yeah, yeah, all right. Cheer for race and politics it's been fun being your pastor. I love you guys. I'm going to miss you guys a ton. Uh, no, it's, uh, I, I really am excited about it. What, who we are, man, as a ministry is we really believe we're, we're a community of people that um, we really want to pour into you as you go and pour your lives out. And so that's our role. And it doesn't just happen in these monthly things. Like Brooke said, we meet every week and we want to send you guys out. But but what happens here in this room once a month, um, the first Wednesday of the month in these kind of big gatherings is we wanna step into hard conversations. Uh, we want these conversations to be a resource, a tool for you. Uh, we want to be admittedly an imperfect church led by imperfect leaders, but pursuing a God who's perfect and a God who has given us his word that we 100% believe in and is our authority. And so that's who we are. And so we're gonna step into those uh, conversations. And so uh, we just said, man, let's jump into the deep end with this one. Um, tonight really isn't just about race and politics in an attempt to, to solve um, those issues, right? What tonight is more about is um, how believers, if you're a follower of Christ, how a follower of Christ is to navigate um, those conversations and to navigate the tension that is the world and the land that we live in with those things. And so I'm not gonna give you the solution. We're not going to try to solve racial issues or political issues. We're going to try to solve the question of how should believers live? Um, and so that's really what tonight is about. And if you're in this room or you're watching this, um, this video and you're not a, a follower of Christ and you're not a professing Christian, I love that you're here. I love that you are watching it. And I hope it's actually a huge blessing to you. Because I, I think it's a really fascinating thing that you get to be a part of to get to see behind the curtain, uh, to get to see behind the curtain of the church, the, the, the body of believers who are supposed to be living their lives out in a specific way and honestly are fumbling this one bad um, in the world we live in and, and are stepping on ourselves and making mistakes. And so we're just going to look at ourselves in the mirror. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, there's a good chance that it's probably for very thoughtful reasons. And so I think it's really appropriate for you to kind of see, hey, this is, this is who we say we are supposed to be. And admittedly, this isn't always who we are. And that misrepresents the Christ we follow. And so I love if, if people who aren't following Christ are watching this because I hope you get to see hopefully repentant people, um, but also get a better picture of who Christ really is, even when, uh, even when his followers don't always uh, give the best picture. So I'm gonna draw uh, tonight. I'm a very visual person. Uh, let me see if this thing works. Oh, look at that. It works. Okay, this is going to be so fun. Oh, man. All right. <clears throat> We're so high tech around here. This is awesome. Okay, uh, let, let me stay focused here. Um, I'm going to draw because I'm a real visual person. And what I want to do is I want to just start to articulate uh, to begin with kind of what we're looking at. And because my brain is visual, I'm going to draw. Hopefully it's a blessing to you. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to look at scripture and say, okay, well, where, where do we fit in this mess that I'm about to draw? A couple of caveats. Um, three, three caveats before I jump into this. The first one is this. I'm probably going to offend you at some point tonight. Uh, I am. And I don't mean to do that. I'm not, I'm not intending to do that. Um, I'm not taking that lightly. Um, I don't want to offend you, but the reality is I am gonna just dance us through a minefield of things that are gonna very potentially trigger you on, on one side or on the other. Um, and, and for that, I just want you to... Um, to not lose focus. Um, so many times I feel like in these conversations, it's like, man, as soon as that person said this, I was done, 
right? I didn't hear anything else they had to say. And so even for the sake of this conversation, uh, man, stay focused, stay with it. If you don't like what I'm about to say, that's okay. Uh, What I'm about to say isn't really important. And I think whatever I'm about to say, we should put in light of this and other thoughtful ideas. And and ultimately this is our only authority scripture. Um, And so that's gonna happen. I'm also gonna unintentionally say things, not because I'm just dancing through a minefield of tricky issues, but also because I'm an imperfect communicator. I might say something. And so even for that, man, if you'd give me some grace and then reach out to me, I probably won't timely respond to you, but I will respond to you eventually. Um, and I, I would love to have those conversations if, uh, if I do step on, on your toes um, in a way that you, you can't hear anything else I'm saying because wait, did he just say this? Is this the argument he's making? And then third is um, I have really bad handwriting and I'm a really sloppy drawer. So this is gonna be painful for some of you guys too, but we're gonna get after it anyway. Here we go. <clears throat> Okay, um, as a believer, there is a, there is a platform that Christians should be standing on, that all Christians stand on this foundational platform here. Um, am I on? Oh, I broke it all. Hang on. And so this platform right here, we are called to stand on a platform of truth. Not the worst handwriting, right? Can you all kind of see what that is? Okay, so we're called to stand on this platform of truth. Right, what is true? And, and I don't mean just truth in the sense of, you know, 30,000 foot biblical truth. I mean even reality, right? What, not what is just biblically true, but yes, even what is factual, right? That we should buy in and believe to what is a correct narrative? What's the correct perspective? Um, and so we as believers have a responsibility to represent Christ in a way to stand on that. Simultaneously, however, we are called to stand on a platform of compassion, Right? So there are these two things that we we really stand on. And so there should be this position between the two of them. This is my stick figure here. That's hopefully us. The reality is that's Christ likeness, right? The intersection of these two places, this idea of compassion, this idea of what is true, but also what is compassionate, is what Christ likeness looks like in the world around us and how we are to navigate. walking this very narrow road and platform that we are called to do. Um, This Christ-likeness, Jesus did perfectly. Let me show you in John chapter eight, Jesus, and and the reality is all throughout the gospels, um, he does this. I'm gonna point out one story. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, But really, if we studied all of the gospels, every time we read a gospel and study Christ, we would see Jesus time and time again straddling the, the cross section between how to be compassionate, but also how to be discerning and stand on truth. And so uh, in John chapter eight, this is, this is what happened. This is the story. Starts in verse one is where I'm gonna pick up and we'll throw the, the verses up there on the screen for you too. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They caught her, she's busted. What are we gonna do? Uh, She broke the rules. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Um, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So here's what's happening. We're gonna finish this story in just a second. But here's what's happening. A woman was caught in adultery. We've talked about this story multiple times. It's a beautiful picture of Christ caught in adultery. It was wrong. It was against the rules. It was against the law of Moses. It was against what Jesus stood for, the the faith that he was now the personification of. Um, God, his father, he incarnate had created that law. And so now these Pharisees say, we're gonna get him. It's a gotcha moment. We caught her, we dragged her to you. Here's, Here's this evidence. Here's what is true. She did wrong. There is a just penalty for that. What are you gonna do about that? She's in sin. Time to make an action. And, and, he, and he has this radical claim and he flips it on his head and he says, hey, okay, cool. Whoever is without sin, you're right, that's true. Whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. And so one by one, uh, they drop their stones. And once more, verse eight said, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, 
they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. This is really, really important. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is a tiny glimpse, uh, 13 verses um, in the context of four whole gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which show Christ walking this line between holding fast to truth, but also simultaneously leading out with compassion, right? She was in the wrong. And Jesus didn't say, you know what? Oh, this feels weird. This just feels awkward. I just feel like it wouldn't be nice. So uh, you know what? I'm just gonna tweak the rules. I'm just gonna take truth and then we're just gonna kind of make it relative for this season because I just really don't love the way this is kind of playing out from a PR situation. He didn't say that, right? But he also was able to lead in an incredibly authoritative and compassionate way and, and forgave her. Did no longer condemned her sins. But then what did he say? He didn't say, oh, your sins are no big deal. The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, looked at this woman and said, never sin again. That's who our God is. That is what Christ did. He walked this line between holding hard discernment and wisdom and truth and not letting go of the fact that that sin shouldn't just be looked the other way and I'll just ignore and well, let's just you know, roll over and and be passive. No, he held fast to that. And then simultaneously held fast to this compassionate, compassionate savior that he is. That's what we see all throughout scripture. Here's what happens for us in our world. We create a couple of camps. We create a camp here and we create a camp here. Um, Here's what that looks like. And, And both of these camps are, are believers. They're both inbounds, right? But God has wired people. And I find myself um, oftentimes in, in both camps, but oftentimes I find myself in this camp of truth right here. And here's what that looks like. Um, this idea looks like somebody who God has wired to potentially be very discerning, right? Um, they're going to really ask hard questions. They're not going to immediately be led by their emotions. Uh, they're not going to be the guy that cries at all the rom-coms, right? They're going to be the person who really says, man, what is true? They're going to be frustrated about the plot holes in the rom-com, not crying about the, the fact that the girl finally got the guy, right? And, and so God has wired people in this way in his body to lean hard to that way, to say, well, wait a second, let's evaluate, let's slow down, let's be cautious, let's be discerning, let's look at truth, let's hold fast to truth. And so there is a part of the body of Christ, and at times some of us lean in that way and find ourselves wired in that way, maybe in different seasons. There's also a part of the body of Christ, which man just leans towards compassion, leans towards compassion in also biblical good ways. Something happens, somebody shows up and they are hurting and they are sad. You are going to cry with them and you are going to hug them and you're going to cry some more. And then after about 15 minutes of crying and hugging, you're going to be like, so what happened? And then they're going to tell you and you're going to be like, oh my gosh. And that is this really sweet picture also of the heart of Christ. And we see the heart of Christ in his body and how he shaped us and wired us. And, and so there is a very inbounds way that those things happen. But also, I think as the church, we've got to start being self-aware of, man, how's God wired me in that? Right? God's wired the body of Christ to work together in ways that show him. So how has God potentially wired me uh, leaning one direction um, or the other? Here's the problem. The problem is we've got a slippery slope that goes down here. And we've got a slippery slope that goes down here. Um, And these slippery slopes start to become out of bounds, right? They start to become out of bounds and to where all of a sudden, easily, our desire for truth, our desire to do what's right, our desire to be discerning um, can easily get complicated and frustrated and turn into something that is not godly. Simultaneously, our desire to be compassionate, our desire to, to hurt for others can easily turn into something that is really lacking discernment and isn't biblical. Let me give you some examples in the issues that we have been dealing with in the last year and a half in our country. Um, these are not new issues um, to lots of Americans, but in the last year and a half, the racial issues in our country have now come to the front door for all of us, um, even though they're not necessarily new issues. Um, and the way that our society and our culture, and specifically tonight, the way our, our 
believers, our big church, the, the, the believers in America handled that, um, is indicative of some of these patterns here. It's easy to go off the edge here. Um, and there are certain things where as you go off the edge, there's certain things that are going to kind of mark that. And so let me just give some, again, broad generalizations, but stereotypes that we saw over this last year. One of them was this. It was a sentiment that was obviously unbiblical that could easily be stirred to send somebody over the edge that basically says, I hate cops, right? There was a sentiment that happened that became 700,000 police officers in the United States. And there became sentiment where, man, they are generalized and stereotyped as the ultimate um, problem. Uh, LeBron James, um, after, which LeBron James, greatest basketball player in the world, um, that'll be next month's sermon. (laughs) Love the guy. We can talk about that later. Um, Amazing basketball player. Am I right, Robert? Yes. Um, Okay, that's not my point. My point is this. Um, LeBron James, after Ahmaud Arbery um, was was shot and killed by two white men, um, he tweeted a tweet that said, and this is a quote from, from what he tweeted. He said, we're literally hunted every day, every time we step foot outside the comfort of our homes. Um, Later, uh, he talked in an interview, in an internet interview um, about the idea that um, cops are hunting black men. Um, I'm not a black man. I don't have the experiences that he has had, that he has had, that the people close to him has had, that he has experienced in in his life growing up, that people uh, who he know, I don't have those experiences, right? Um, And because of that, he is obviously responding here with emotion, right? There is clearly frustration here in in his text. And so I don't want to make light of the emotion, the very valid emotion that he has here. And he's clearly, he was clearly hurting. And, a, and this is just a celebrity who I think represents and is easy to kind of stereotype and characterize a lot of the discussion that was happening on that kind of extreme side where it was cops are hunting black people. This is unfair. He's literally, every time we leave our house, um, we step foot out of our comfort zone, we are being hunted. Um, but the reality is, well, we... It is, it is driven by some very valid things that he's experienced in his life, but we also know, well, that's not true, right? We know that police aren't actually hunting um, black people. We know that literally every time um, a black man leaves his house, that there isn't a world that is literally hunting them. And so all of a sudden it becomes, well, gosh, I hear your emotion and I hear your genuine and hear me valid frustration valid. But wait, I, f- I feel like maybe that's starting to lose grip on reality and truth. And all of a sudden, emotion and feelings are starting to dictate our narrative and what is true and what is not true. And so it's so easy to start to go over this hill because there is valid feelings, but then those feelings start to become authoritative. And all of a sudden, they start to dictate narratives. And all of a sudden, there becomes a sentiment of... Um, Cops are, are stereotypically um, bad. Then we have things um, like critical race theory um, that has um, emerged, um, been around, but really emerged recently, which offers some, honestly, just from my standpoint, we can talk about it more if we want to get into the details. We won't get into all the details now, but some really dangerous solutions, right? Some really dangerous solutions to a problem that they identify, but really some broad sweeping dangerous things that as a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ would say, man, I'm not sure that I completely buy that. And I'm not sure that they are offering a solution that I would think is ultimately biblical. And so all of a sudden we have things like that that are starting to pull us over the hill until eventually we kind of get to this kind of, I'll just call it worst case scenario, whatever that is, right? Whether that's, um, whether that's we all become, you know, secular Marxists uh, who don't no longer believe in God and it just, we just need to create our own utopia or whatever that looks like, we start to get into this place of, oh man, there's this worst case scenario. And so you can kind of see how, man, compassion, which is good and godly and wired, can also start to lead over a slope simultaneously. The other slide, side, there is a dangerous slope on the other side as well. Um, <clears throat> let's see who I haven't offended yet. Um, oh Yeah. Okay, so um, oftentimes we can easily be pulled over into, and we saw this happen in the last year and a half, my hope is in Donald Trump. 
right? Now, let me say this for the record. Um, I, and some of you guys are gonna hate that I say this and you'll lose everything I say after this and, and I'll be canceled. And so I'm just praying for, for focus for you. Um, but, and I know it's not necessarily popular with half of our nation, um, but I think that there are some things politically that I'm, I'm happy about with, with Trump as our president. There were some things in his presidency that I am hopeful for and glad about um, that happened. And so even just that kind of shows my cards on the table politically, and you might not agree who I vote for um, or how I vote or who I voted for, and that's totally fine. You might not agree with those things, but there were things that I'm really thankful for with Trump. Here's one thing though that we know becomes out of bounds when he became our savior. When we watched a country of people, many of them professing to say, I look like Christ. I am a follower of Christ who out of their fear and frustration of what's happening over here and how far this is going and how far this is trying to drag us and a narrative that would be identified as, well, that's not true. It was very easy to have people who discerningly said, well, that's not a true narrative. That's a dangerous solution. This guy is gonna be our hope. He's gonna save us. He's gonna keep America from becoming that. And so all of a sudden we went from voting for the guy to if he loses, we're gonna stink and storm the Capitol. We're gonna lose our minds because we put our hope in him. So I hope you don't just read this as Trump, right? I'm not a, I'm not a Trump hater, but as a believer, I'm massively concerned about Trump worship. And we saw that happen. We saw it happen and we see it happen. And we found people who found their hope in he's gonna fight for truth and what's right. And he doesn't care who he offends. And so we're gonna hook our hope, not my vote, not some advocacy towards it, not, but we're gonna hook our hope to that. And we saw how dangerous and divisive and honestly confusing for the world, both of these categories um, start to be. And so, uh, and so that just continues, right? That uh, continues, you've got, um, you've got actual race, racists um, here, right? These guys aren't racist, right? This is inbounds, right? But there is racism, right? There is worst case scenario down here, whatever that might be, whether that's white supremacy or whatever it is, you've got kind of these two very large extremes down here where, okay, you've got people who are then reacting over here saying, oh man, because of that, I'm gonna pull this way and I'm gonna pull. And so this is what, this is what started to happen in our world, right? We just started to fear these worst case scenarios and we started to give zero grace to each other. And so here, here's what happened. These guys over here, they see this camp, right? These are believers, right? They see this camp and they think, man, you are not compassionate like I am. Man, look at what I post. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how I'm trying to advocate. I'm hurting for people who are hurting in ways that you are not responding to in the same way. And so because of that, these people started calling these people racists, right? And these people are racist and they know they're not racist. Are they wired in the same way as these guys over here? Um, did, did they respond in the same way with compassion? Did they respond with the same urgency at times? No, but they know, they know there's no hatred in their heart towards black people. And so they know that. And so all of a sudden they're just being called racists because they're not projecting and, and, and emoting and leading out in the way that these people say is the only way. And so these people say, well, we're the only way because you guys are out of bounds now. And we know we're not racist. And so all of a sudden these guys project them as you guys are all a bunch of racist and this and y'all are going down the hill over here. And so they just see them as worst case scenario. Simultaneously, we had the guys on the right, I see you and you guys are all a bunch of cultural Marxists and everybody's preaching critical race theory to kindergartners right now and everybody like, and, and it becomes this hostile thing, throwing grenades, throwing grenades, polarizing this camp, polarizing this camp because all of a sudden they say, okay, everyone, everyone on this side, on this side over here hates me. So I know that that's not true. And I see the lies over here and, and we don't see this as slopes, Right, We just see them as, oh, these must be realities for everyone. They must all believe those things. And so we lob grenades, we lob grenades, we come after each other. And what fuels them is not racism or, or even lack of wisdom. What fuels this side and makes it larger, this camp, 
is fear. They're not racist, right? What, what they're seeing is their discernment of, well, wait a second, that's not fair. And simultaneously, some of these solutions that you are offering are, are not good solutions. They're dangerous, poor solutions that's going to lead us into, into bad places. And so what's actually behind this fueling it is this idea of fear, not racism. But that fear is fueling that side. Simultaneously over here, it's being fueled by frustration. They're not cultural Marxists, right? They don't, this isn't, it's not a real thing that they're out there studying and they have a secret plan to uh, initiate Marxism throughout our world and our country. They're frustrated. They're frustrated because why are people not more compassionate? Why are people not responding the way I'm responding? And so you have two camps and ways that God has designed the body to where we have more compassionate people and we have more discerning, truth-minded people and they cannot get along. And so now we're fueling them and we've created this mess. We're, we're lobbing grenades. These guys are, are CRT advocate Marxists. These guys are racist Trump lovers. Welcome to 2020 and 2021 in America. This is the mess that we're in. But this is the mess that we were in. And the other thing too that I've seen even as a pastor is I've seen it become self-fulfilling. And here's what I mean by that. Um, All of a sudden, it just feels like we've just got these two really big camps because there's no room for anything else. And so what happens is somebody over here who might be wired more compassionate says, okay, my choices appear to be angry, um, not doesn't appear very compassionate, or these guys appear pretty compassionate. And so if I'm wired that way, I'm like, well, I guess that's the camp. And so all of a sudden it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where it is pulling people over the edge. Um, Simultaneously over here, people say, well, man, I'm not as compassionate as this person. Goodness. Okay, cool. Well then if I can't be enough, if I can't do enough, if I can't appease that, and if, and if my feelings aren't enough and I, I'm not feeling the correct way, well then forget it. I'm just gonna stick with truth and data and I'm just gonna cancel you. You stay on your side, I'm gonna stay on my side. And it creates incredible disunity, incredible confusion of what Christ is supposed to look like specifically navigating something as volatile as the last two years of race and politics. Um there's a third option, right? There is a third option for the church, for the believer. There is this third option that we as the church and as the believers are compelled and called to step into, right? And it's this idea of what is actual Christ-likeness supposed to look like. And it is the holding of tension between what it looks like to be compassionate and what it looks like to also continue to be discerning and have healthy boundaries and all of those things. And it's holding that tension uh, together. Let me, give you, um, let me give you an example. Well, um, yeah. So if my wife comes home, my wife has a great job. She's an awesome boss. But let's say one day she comes home and she had a bad day at work and she walks in from the driveway and she is crying and she's upset and, and she just walks in, snotty nose, tears running everywhere. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what happened, babe? She says, my boss was so mean to me, so mean to me today. He embarrassed me in front of the entire staff today. We were in a staff meeting and he said, you know, Danielle, do you have the report that I emailed you to be ready for this meeting? And I didn't see that email, so I wasn't ready. And he was upset about it and he embarrassed me and he made a little joke about it, about me not being prepared. And everyone was looking at me and people laughed at it. And I felt the rest of the meeting, everyone's eyes were on me and he totally humiliated me. Um, because of this reason. And she's just crying and she's upset. And she's like, I am so mad. I'm going to quit. Now, as a husband, right? Like I know I need to meet her in a place of compassion, right? I need to meet her in a place of compassion. Oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. Oh, that's awkward. I hate that that happened for you. Oh no, sweetheart, man. I'm going to meet her in that place. But that doesn't mean I'm going to say, yeah, let's burn his house down, (laughs) right? Like we're not going to go there. Right? I'm going to hold the tension between, ah, I'm sorry that happened. I'm also simultaneously not going to say, well, did you get the email? 
right? Simultaneously, like also another example, a, a quicker one. Um, men, if you ever have a wife and she walks out and she says, hey, my favorite dress I no longer fit in. I feel like I'm getting fatter and uglier. Your response is not going to be, well, are you? And what are you gonna do about it, <laughs> right? Intuitively, intuitively, we are emotionally intelligent to know that's a horrible idea. I would never do that. You would never just say, oh, my wife, you would meet her in compassion. Now, maybe one day, a few months later, you might be like, hey, what are some healthy choices we can start making as a family or whatever, right? But you wouldn't do that. We all get that. That's funny and it's light, right? Because it's so intuitive, you wouldn't do that. But man, when people said Black Lives Matter, we lost our minds, Because did you know that Black Lives Matter is actually attached to an organization that has some really unchristian principles? Honestly, it does. And some scary next steps. And it's led by people who aren't believers. And so when people had the sentiment, Black Lives Matter, over here, we thought, whoa, hang on. Yes, Black Lives Matter just for the record, for, for at least where I stand, and again, you might disagree, I'd love to talk nuances. That's not what this sermon's about. Um, Black Lives Matter happens to be, yes, an organization um, that I believe as a follower of Christ, there's gonna be a rub there with some of their leadership, some of their philosophy, some of the solutions that they would like to see towards racism. They don't match what Christ likeness looks like. But here's the thing. A huge majority of people who were saying and posting Black Lives Matter I'd never been to a website, right? They were saying the sentiment, black lives matter. And and discerning people who are, want truth and love people well are thinking, fear, uh uh-oh, oh, that's gonna lead you over here. So I just don't think I can agree with the sentiment that black lives matter. So when people were hurting and someone felt disproportionately ignored or oppressed, so, so many of us didn't have the capacity to, it's easy to laugh at if we talk about a wife or a girlfriend who says something, like, you gotta have the capacity to take the blow, get where they're at, but yeah, you're not gonna go burn their house down. And, and we as a, as a church had, had people of color raising their hands saying we're hurting. And so often our response is, well, everybody's hurting. Do you see how this, how this fuels each other? Do you see how divisive this can become? Well, is there some discernment with the organization of Black Lives Matter? Absolutely, there's some discernment and and truth there that we should hold in tension. But is there also some compassion over here to say, yeah, I I hear what you're saying and I wanna listen to what you're saying and I wanna sit down and I wanna cry with you on the couch and I wanna talk to you about how I didn't even like that dress in the first place. It was an ugly dress, right? We, We have compassion to meet people where they're at. Do we have that as a church? Do we have that as a country? Do we have that as believers representing Christ, what we're called and signed up to do? Um, on the, uh, on the, that's on the truth side, right? Um, on the discernment side, I would say also we run into the problem um, over, over here where we look from a compassionate side to those who um, are just trying to stand on truth. And that tension of I'm going to project what I think because of my feelings on you, because you're not responding in the same way. And so this third option allows us to say, can we hold those in tension? Can we try to avoid um, projecting because someone didn't respond the way I responded, because someone didn't meet in the same place of my emotions that then we project, well, then you must be here. There is a third option. It is holding those things um, in tension. That's what we're called to do. We're called to walk that line. We're called to look like Christ for a world around us. And again, if you're a non-believer, I love that you're hearing this because I hope that you know that, that so often, including myself, we don't do that. And we trip over ourselves because we're imperfect followers. But that's what this conversation is about. And so what do we do, right? What do we do about this? If this is the mess that we're navigating as, as Christians, what do we do about it? And obviously the goal would be, well, let's be like Christ. And so the first question is, we have to ask is, do we really want that? And so if the application of this talk becomes, all right, 
Let's be like this. Let's create a third option for the world around us. A third option where the world says, oh, wow, okay, you can be compassionate and also not just agree with every bad solution and idea. And we can hold those things in tension. And hey, I don't have to emote and feel and and social media share in the same way, but I can still be compassionate. But my compassion might not look like what your compassion looks like. And we can have that third option for a world to say, wow, that is a narrow road of unity, but it is God glorifying. God glorifying, um, but do we really want it, right? Do, do we really want that third option? Um, because you've got to really want that because it is the hardest option. By far, that is the hardest option to navigate because you will get grenades from both sides. There will be seasons where as you're trying to navigate that narrow road, that there will be people who won't understand you and you will be called, oh man, you're too woke, And there will be people on the other side that will see you and be like, oh man, you're too indifferent. You're not as radical as I am. You must not really believe in this. Whereas these other places, honestly, you can find community. You can find community of everyone that believes the way you believe, thinks the way you think, affirms what you affirm. It is safe. It is comfortable. It's so much easier to just polarize ourselves and stay in a camp. Those guys are the villains. Those guys are the villains. We're the victims, we're the good guys. They don't get it, we get it. Um, Do we really want it? Um, And so really why? (laughs) We should want it. And we should want it because if we're followers of Jesus, we've got a job to do. Look at Matthew chapter five. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Um, Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Listen to verse 16. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Man, we are called to be this light on a hill that other people say, wow, look at how they hold that tension. Look at their good works. Look at a combination between discernment and compassion. Give glory to a father in heaven. Our God in heaven gets the credit for that kind of radical unity. Look at John uh, chapter 13. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's just one verse. Um, He says in verse 35, um, he says, by this, All people, this is Jesus um, talking to his disciples before he gets uh, arrested. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the world is watching us. And he's saying, they will know you're my followers by the way you love each other. How there is unity in the body. In 1 Corinthians, we're told, hey, stop suing each other. Stop attacking each other especially in front of the world. The world is watching. It's ruining our witness. People no longer know what Jesus is supposed to look like because they think, is this what Jesus is supposed to look like? Is this what Jesus is supposed to look like? I don't understand. That's our role. So we have a job to do. So last question is how, right? How do we do this? How do we make order from this chaos? Uh, Three things. Big picture is this. Tonight, and I said this at the beginning, tonight isn't offering the solution. Right? I'm not necessarily offering a solution for um, racist issues or, or honestly uh, dangerous liberal ideas and solutions. That's not what tonight is about. Uh, tonight is about how we even just navigate unity so that we can address issues, so that we can begin a conversation. And so honestly, my hope tonight is that this becomes a tool and it becomes a tool to help you start to put in context, okay, can I start to have conversations? Can I let some of these walls down and start to be able to bridge uh, unity. And, and not just a tool to share with other people. I, I hope if it's a blessing, you share it with people. But honestly, a tool for you to be introspective. And if you see this and you just think, okay, this is a great way for me to share and say, hey, this is kind of what's happening. Do you see how your compassion, well-intended, is leading you over the edge into honestly some dangerous, unbiblical things? And it's just a tool to show the other person or, hey, this is kind of, this is what's happening. Do you see how your stance on truth and discernment is starting to kind of get fueled by maybe some some fear that's leading you over the edge? It's for introspection. First, I would encourage you. It's to say, where is my leaning? How has God wired me to be a part of the body? We're called in Matthew 10 to be wise as serpents and innocent or as kind in some translations as doves. 
So we are called to have this, I mean, wise, sharp, discerning, not swept away by every good idea that the world offers as a solution to brokenness, but simultaneously kind and innocent and gentle, those things in tension. And so asking yourself, where do you line up on this? Are there some ways that fear is maybe fueling? Are there some ways that you are fueled by your frustration and what started as good compassion has turned into frustration or anger or just dismissal of other people in fellowship? That's wrong. Be introspective about this. Second is this. Um, and, and I'm gonna talk to kind of each camp, which it's funny, I, I really have found myself in different camps in different seasons of my life. Um, and in different seasons, even in the last year and a half. Um, but I, I, wanna, I wanna speak first here. Um, if, if you are introspective and say, okay, I lean this way. God's wired me in a way. I'm not easily emotional. I'm not easily, I'm gonna really stop. and I'm gonna look at the data. I'm gonna look at the numbers. If that's you, then my encouragement is to not let go of that. Um, to not feel sorry for that. To not apologize for the fact that you're discerning and, and you want to really be slow in how you respond. Um, my my challenge for you is that you would flee fear and you'd really flee from fear. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, what we intake is going to fuel us. And so if you find that maybe you lean towards this direction and you lean towards the idea of, man, I'm worried about the world we are living in. I'm worried about where the world is going. I'm worried about the agenda over there. I'm worried about where they would like to take us. And if what you are intaking is a lot of other voices, that are stoking that fear and bringing up valid, potentially data and conversations. And you find yourself in constant conversations and podcasts and, and news sources and, and, and community that's just fueling that fear. And you find yourself listening to stuff, reading stuff, clicking on things because it's like, uh-oh, here it goes again. Here it comes. You are fueling fear. My challenge for you is flee that. Stop that. Run from that. Don't run from discernment. Don't run from wisdom. Don't run from thoughtfulness. But potentially, if you find yourself really driven by fear then, and caricaturizing the other side to where you're putting them all at the bottom, worst case scenario, then run from that. And if you say, but Ben, it is scary, right? I care about people. I'm over here. Don't put me in a box. I care about people. And it's because I care about people that I'm scared because it's scary stuff. You are right. You're not wrong. It's scary stuff. It is. Don't, don't, don't tell me about fear. I'm raising two boys in this country in the world that my generation hands to them and then they, Lord willing, will be parents in whatever the next reiteration of this hot mess is. So the idea that the world is sliding into scary places, I am well aware of that. My lack of fear doesn't come from the fact that I'm passive and dismissal and well, it's no big deal. Let's all just hold hands and have unity. My lack of fear and my peace has to come from the fact that I believe in a God bigger than that disaster. That's where my lack of fear comes from. That's where my lack of fear comes from. And if you hear this and you think, you're just trying to get me to sit on my hands and be passive. Jesus flipped over tables, man. And our country is getting invaded by a dangerous liberal ideology that's gonna ruin our country. And Jesus would have flipped over tables and he did flip over tables. He flipped over tables of religious people who were making a mockery of his father's house in the church. But you know what else Jesus Jesus knew what it was like to live in an invaded country, right? Jesus's country was invaded by Rome. He lived in an occupied country that's government was godless, right? It was a godless, awful, evil government. And he didn't go there to overthrow it. He went there to say, I am going to establish a new kingdom. Trust me, I can. We're not encouraging passivity. We're encouraging faith. These disciples, they're on a boat. Storm comes, gnarly. These guys are professional fishermen and they lost their minds. I mean, I mean they, they are, their lives are in boats and they think, oh my gosh, this is the worst storm we've ever seen. Their hope is literally being filled with water. They rush down in the bowels of the boat and Jesus is sleeping. 
and they wake him up. Jesus, we're all about to die. This thing is going down. We're losing our minds. We're doomed. You're asleep. It's over. Jesus goes up and he calms the storm. He calms it. He's standing on the boat. Could you imagine that? The waves were real. They were dangerous. They were serious. But he calmed the storm and they were horrified. A healthy fear of the Lord emerged in all of the disciples in the boat that night because they realized he's the one who controls the waves. And man, so often we are so consumed by fearing the waves rather than the one who controls the waves. This isn't about being passive. That's not the solution here. It's not about just stop reading news articles. It's about, man, would our would we flee from fear and run to the one who we don't have to be afraid? We can still be discerning, but we don't have to be fueled by fear. And then the last camp, would we flee from frustration, right? This, this idea of fleeing is tied, it's all throughout scripture. Oftentimes it's tied to the idea of sexual immorality, right? A, a Bible story where somebody is in a really bad situation and there's a girl and it's not good and it's not gonna turn out well for him. And it's like, drop everything and get out of that house, right? And so it's this idea of flee from sexual immorality. Fleeing from fear, fleeing from frustration is just as radical and just as important. And if you find yourself in this camp, right? And you say, man, God's wired me that way. And I have found myself in this last year and a half, honestly, canceling people left and right because they weren't compassionate the way I would, because they didn't respond the way I did, because they, I'm, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. It feels like people keep invalidating valid feelings and have zero capacity for me to hurt or my brother to hurt or my sister to hurt. And if I raise my hand for somebody hurting, it feels like all of a sudden I get characterized and that is massively frustrating. I get it. That's frustrating. Would you flee that though and run towards grace? Run towards grace for other people. Run towards grace for the body of Christ that might be wired differently, might respond differently, might obviously have different experiences that might make it hard for them to understand. Maybe it doesn't feel like they even want to listen and that's frustrating. Would you run to grace? Because grace has been, if you are in Christ, given to you. Run to grace and also run to discernment. Be aware that, yeah, there are some ways that your compassion can really take you into some dangerous places. Create more unity with people who are wired differently and are believers, but also line up differently in some ways and listen and and fight to have that unity. And I know you want it to be fixed. This is unacceptable. We're followers of Christ. We shouldn't be okay with this. There's brokenness. People in the church are sitting on their hands. We're frustrated. We want it fixed. People are hurting. Why are we okay with that? I get the frustration. Christ was surrounded by broken people, right? He was surrounded by them and he poured his life out for them. I mean, there are people who are lepers and broken and, and um, you know, they were blind and they're sick and they're maimed and they're diseased and they're demon filled. And, and so much of his ministry was just pouring his life out of healing and fixing what was broken. But you know what's crazy? There's other times where he didn't. Where Jesus Christ, who had the capacity to fix everything right now, didn't. He had crowds of people who were hungry, needy, starving, hurting, raising their hands. And he left and he went and he rested. And he went and he spent time with the father and he took these other obedient steps that our our savior did. And so I I know so much of your frustration is driven by, we wanna fix it. And so my question for you is, will you trust though? Will you trust that God is the one who's gonna fix it? And yes, he's gonna use his church but he's gonna use his church as they have the right posture to look like him. And and maybe that's not fixing it immediately. We want it fixed immediately as soon as possible. And maybe he's saying, my kingdom will come. His kingdom will come. Do we believe that? Or are we toiling trying to fix it ourselves? Man, my hope for this conversation, and this is the beginning of a conversation that honestly we're gonna have in multiple different venues throughout the next month. We're gonna get to talk about if you're a Renovate leader next Wednesday and really dive into some more nuances of this. Uh, We're gonna have a podcast 
where I bring in some other voices that aren't my voice to talk about man, what, what they see in this. Um, this is the beginning of a conversation. But my hope is that it's a conversation that would produce fruit and godliness and Christ-likeness. And that we wouldn't just use it as a tool to show somebody else where they might be wrong, but we'd use it as a tool to be introspective and then figure out what are ways we can repent so we can walk a narrow road of unity so the world around us can see us and say, I wanna glorify the Father in heaven of those people. Doesn't make sense. But they are following God worth following. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for how you love us. God, I pray... um, I pray in the name of Jesus for um, my brother or sister in this room who um, maybe doesn't have ears to hear uh, this, this talk, honestly. It's loaded um, with landmines. Um, and, and there's so many overgeneralizations, even in this conversation, that are gonna be hard to swallow. Um, and so many probably imperfect ways that I communicated. And so God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that uh, you would open people's eyes and ears to what you would have, God. It wouldn't be about Ben and his conversation and drawing and and scriptural references. It wouldn't be about our songs or renovate or this church. Um, But God, would you show us what Christ-likeness looks? Would we care enough to want to fight, to do the harder thing so we might look more and more like you? Would we study and just sit and dwell with you in a way that, um, in the way that would produce unity? God, how radical that would be to see unity. People wired differently, people who are hurt on both sides, giving each other grace, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, but also helping make sure we don't push each other over the edge. God, would you do what only you could do? God, would you give ears to hear to all of us who maybe don't wanna hear, give ears to hear and would we respond so that we might bring you glory? In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.